Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Chapter 3, the New Testament book of Colossians. And we'll begin reading in chapter 3 here in just a moment. So over the last few weeks, we've been discussing our core values as a church. And again, it's important for us to remember that our core values do not replace our mission of knowing, serving, and sharing Jesus. Our mission and values, they fit together. They're, They're married together, if you will. And it's also important for us to remember as a church that our focus needs to be on who we are, not how we do things. So our mission and our values are what we hold tightly to. These are, these are what's important to us as a church. How we do things will change over time. And so that's why we're focusing on our core values and mission at First Baptist Belton. So about four weeks ago when we began this identity series, we started talking about undistracted excellence as one of our core values. We also spent time looking at the core value of sacrificial worship. Then the week after that, we looked at prioritizing the Bible. And then last week, we focused on transforming discipleship as a core value. Today, we'll be looking at another one. And this core value is called attractive community. Attractive community. Now, as we have in previous weeks, I want you to look at the screen and you will see a statement that we have um, in regard to attractive community. And I would like us to read this statement together um, as we have in previous weeks. Let's read it out loud together. As the people of God, our identity is to be salt and light in the world as we love, care, and encourage one another. Our desire is that our church family provides an engaging environment that people love to belong to, invest in, and invite others to join. Now, as we begin, it's important for us to know why community is important as a core value. Why community? Let me give you a few reasons. One, the first reason is because you were not made to live in isolation. You were made to be in relationship with God and you were created to be in relationship with one another. You're to be in relationship with other believers. I also think it's important for us to focus on community because we need help in seeing that the church is not merely an event that you attend. Church is not merely you just showing up on a Sunday or for some specific program during the week. The church is this living community of people in submission to Jesus' lordship throughout the week. The church is about uh, this community of believers coming together. And for some of us, I think it might if we're honest, it's, it's church has kind of become this place where we just show up. We, we hear a sermon. We, we've come to appreciate maybe even some sound doctrine, or we come to experience a worship service, which all of those are good things. But then through the rest of the week, the rest of our life knows nothing of fulfilling the one another's in scripture, the loving one another, caring for one another. Really, we, we, we disregard the family, if you will, of the church. Another reason we need to focus on community is because we, honestly, we need help evaluating and adjusting priorities in light of God's mission through the local church. 
you, like me, you fill your schedule with a lot of very important things. School, homework, study, class projects, date nights, hanging out with friends, workout routines, sports competitions, this or that recital. And many of those things, what happens is those begin to fill up our calendar and then our mentality becomes, if I've got time for church, if I've got time to gather with God's people, I'll make it a priority. But really, this week I don't have much time. And so we prioritize all those other things and then maybe fit in church if we're lucky. Our Monday to Saturday schedule excludes interaction with other saints with whom we're called into covenant relationship with to support and encourage and strengthen and edify on a regular basis. Another reason why community is important as a core value is because we need a vision of God's plan for Christian community so that we don't fall prey to self-autonomy. This, this spirit of self-autonomy that wants to cast off all authority or all accountability to others. This spirit of self-autonomy that disregards anyone that wants to tell us what we should believe and how we should act. You see, the problem is that people often want community insofar as nobody else tells them what they should believe. Or when they're in error. You see, at that point, community ends. Why? Because self-autonomy ruins, runs the day. Not so with God's church. As a community, we're called to be a people submitting to his will above all. And we regularly admonish and encourage one another to do the same. You can find this all throughout the New Testament. So these are a few reasons why community is important as a core value. Now when you mention the church, when you bring up the church, there's all kinds of different responses that that might elicit for some when you say church it's like taking a scab off a off a wound it hurts it brings it brings back memories where they were where they were hurt in the church whether it's a pastor or leadership who sinned against them whether it's a person who gossiped or slandered maybe it was poor stewardship of the of the money given There's a myriad of reasons why for some, when you mention church, it's painful. It hurts. For others, the mere meeting mention of church is a reminder of something they're committed to, but they really find no joy in. They're committed to it, but there's no joy in it. Yeah, that's my church. That's where I'm a member. That's where I go. But it's not really about the people of God. It's about checklist. It's about, yes, I go and I I receive a little bit of a sermon. I might even attend Sunday school or a life group. And then it's done. And then the rest of the week, I do what I want to do. And so church for them is, it, it isn't really about the people. And so there's not much joy in it. It's merely a checklist item. For others, you mentioned church. And it's a reminder of what, or maybe more importantly, who they love. You bring up church to some people and they can't help but think about people within that church. The people that have impacted them spiritually. The the people who have spoken life into them. That have encouraged them in the faith. 
to be bold in, in following God's commands. See, it's about the people. It's about this community of believers. And for them, the church is one of their greatest delights. They couldn't imagine going through life's joys and trials without those people that they've linked arms with. See, church for them is one of their greatest joys. And so there's all kinds of different responses when you bring up church. And Paul, among other biblical authors, they spend so much time instructing us on how to relate to one another as a part of a local church. In our text here in Colossians chapter 3, Paul spends some time um, exhorting the church at Colossae. He exhorts them in day-to-day practice as they labor and live together as a community of believers. And I think as we pay attention and we heed Paul's exhortations, it will aid us in growing as an attractive community, but it will also help us prevent and fight against those things that want to destroy community. Now, if you want to sum up Paul's picture of what a thriving church community is, I think it's actually found in verse 17 of our text. So we're actually going to start at the end, and then we'll go to the beginning in verse 12. Verse 17, Paul says this. He kind of wraps up his statement by saying this. In whatever you do, word or deed, no matter what you do, in your actions and in your words, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to the Father through him. He's he's basically given this idea that whatever we do, we should do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our words and our actions in the body of Christ should always act in accord with the nature and character of Jesus Christ. Everything we say, everything we do, We need to make sure that we're demonstrating the nature and character of Jesus. This is our goal. But how do we do that as a community of believers? How do we go about doing that? Well, I think our text tells us. If you'll begin reading with me in verse 12, and if you'll stand uh, for the honor of reading of God's word. So as we think about it, in everything we say and do, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Let's look at what Paul exhorts this church at Colossae to do. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And so for those of you who God has called out of this world to himself through Christ, for this church, this body of believers, here's what you should put on. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. And patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And here's the verse that we just looked at. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
This is God's word. May you be seated. So how do we become, an, how, how are we an attractive community that brings glory and honor to Christ? Paul gives us some ways. And I want to mention four from this passage real quickly. The first that I want you to notice is that this is this Christ honoring attractive community demonstrates the peace of Christ. Christ honoring attractive community demonstrates the peace of Christ. Now the exhortation to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts comes in verse 15. But I think this is where the first few verses, 12, 13, and 14, are actually heading. In other words, the the nature of the command that Paul gives in verses 12, 13, and 14, if obeyed, they would indeed bring about peace in the community of believers. So where these commands, these exhortations are obeyed, peace will be the result. So how do we, how do we do this? We do this by demonstrating the peace of Christ. Paul exhorts them, beginning in verse 12, to put on these qualities, these characteristics of the nature of Christ. Those have been, that have been called out of the world by God and then together as his church, he says, put these on. He says, first, put on compassionate heart. Have a compassionate heart. Now, it's very important for me right here to, to pause and say, this is not a message for you to look at your neighbor and point the finger. This isn't a message for you to say, yes, he's finally telling them. No, look within your own heart and ask these questions. Look within your own soul when it comes to this body of believers. So the first thing to look at is, do I have a compassionate heart toward this body of believers? Am I compassionate? This willingness to demonstrate tenderness and mercy toward others. Paul goes on, he says, we must be kind. Put on kindness. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but churches can be some of the most unkind places on the planet. It really can be. There's mean people in the church. Now, I know that that's other churches. That's not here. But there's mean people. Unkind. And Paul says, put on kindness. Be kind to one another. Then he says, we must be humble ridding ourselves of arrogance and thinking of ourselves above others, that we're more important than someone else in the body. Humility. We must be meek, he says, not wanting to exalt ourselves above other people. And then he says we must be patient. And we'll talk a little more about this here in just a second. But he says, be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, this is what a community of believers should look like compassionate and kind humble meek patient with one another this is what paul says to put on and i would dare say that any of us would not want to be part of such a community of believers but if that is true that means that each one of us must strive and labor to ensure that we ourselves are characterized by such qualities See, I, I love Paul because he, he also understands the church. He, he knows what's going to happen in the church. 
Because then in verse 13, he says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you should forgive. So Paul is, Paul's realistic. He knows that he's writing to a people who are, who are now linking arms together, who apart from Christ probably would not spend time together. And he knows that those people who are now linking arms together, they're going to have issues. They're going to have disagreements. There's going to be times where they misunderstand one another. And he says, so in those circumstances, be patient, bear with one another. Be patient, bearing with one another. And as you do that, he also knows, Paul is aware that there's going to be times where there are legitimate grievances against one another. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to say things that that caused someone to be hurt. We're going to do things that cause damage to one another. So Paul says, well, what do you do when someone actually does that? In the body of Christ, what should we do? He says, forgive one another. But as you forgive one another in the body, remember this. Remember how much you've been forgiven in Christ. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's how we're to forgive. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven by the Lord. And you see this. So this is grounded in the gospel. The only reason that you and I will find strength to forgive one another in the body is when we realize how, um, how much and, and we recognize and remember that we've been forgiven for so much more and, the, and greater evil than anyone has committed against us. When we realize how much we've been forgiven by Christ, we can freely forgive brothers and sisters. We can forgive one another. And so Paul here, as he begins this, this, these verses in 12 and on, he sets this vision for an attractive community. We're to be a people that are characterized by kindness and compassion, meekness, humility, being patient with one another and forgiving one another. This is what unity and peace among a believing community requires. And when it's present, when it's present in a church, that church is healthy and people want to belong to it. But when it's absent, we're mirroring those that don't know Christ and people don't want to be a part. A church filled with people that portray the character of Christ towards one another. That's attractive community. The second thing I want you to see is in verse 14. Christ honoring attractive community displays genuine love for one another. So it, it demonstrates the peace of Christ, but it also displays genuine love for one another. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. Above all these. So as you consider compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and bearing with one another and forgiveness, above all of those, put on love. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony perfect harmony you see the greatest thing that must characterize those of us in this community of believers is love because we have been greatly loved by jesus 
You see, if we truly love one another, then we can be compassionate toward each other. If we truly love one another, we will be kind to one another. If we truly love one another, we'll be humble and meek and we'll forgive. You see, if we say that we forgive one another, but yet we don't love each other, it's fake. It's a facade. Everything we do is bound together in harmony by our love for one another. These words that Paul writes, they're very familiar, um, or they sound very familiar to Jesus' words, to his disciples. Jesus says in, in John chapter 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another by this So by your love for one another, this is what he's telling his disciples, by your love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus, he tells his disciples that their love for one another will be evidence to the world that they follow him. Because of their love. It's very important. And I want you to hear this. Our primary purpose in Christian community is not our own needs. Our primary purpose in Christian community is not our own needs. Our primary purpose in Christian community is that Jesus would be lifted high. It's that Jesus would be magnified and glorified. It's that others would would know and hear of Jesus. This is our goal. And so this means among a bunch of different things that we take the opportunities to spend time together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We put others in the body before our others' needs, before our own. We take time to get to know one another's stories. We listen to one another. We care for one another. We meet each other's needs. We rejoice when other brothers and sisters rejoice. We mourn when other brothers and sisters mourn. It's, it's loving one another. As each of us loves and treasures Christ, it will bond us more together in love and Jesus will be glorified. You see, our goal in loving one another is that it points people to Jesus. And the opposite could be said. Our lack of love for one another can repel people from Jesus. A church filled with people loving one another. That's an attractive community. As I think about my 44 years of life on this earth. And the churches that I've been involved in. I was raised in the church. All all of my life I know nothing but the church. And I thank God for that. But as I I think about those churches. there's, There's been churches that I've been a part of. In Lubbock and in Round Rock and in Taylor and here. There's been churches that I've been a part of that, that, have, that have embodied these things. That the people have really gathered together and loved one another and cared for one another. I mean, you could almost walk in those doors and you could, you could feel it. You might have those same experiences in some of your churches. Like you could just feel it. Like these people care for one another. These people love one another. They meet each other's needs. You see, growing up as a young boy, my family was the benefactor of a lot of that love and care 
and compassion. I remember people in the churches that I've been a part of that, that cared for my family in their, in their sorrow, in their hurt, in struggled situations. Family people coming to meet with my family to meet our needs, bringing us boxes of food and caring for us. The same can also be true in my 44 years as well. There's been a few churches that I've been a part of that you could walk in the room and you could feel it. That these people, they're just in constant conflict, devouring one another with their words. It's like they just hate each other, almost. There's no unity, there's no love, there's no bond, there's no connection. And I find it interesting that most churches that are like that, similar to that, one of their most reoccurring questions is this. Why are we not growing? I mean, we've got all these programs and all these events and all this stuff. Why aren't we growing? One of the leading causes of a growing church, not the only, but a leading cause of a growing church is a church that loves one another because it magnifies and lifts up Jesus and other people know that we follow Jesus by our love for one another that's attractive community I want to point out another one to you the third one Christ honoring attractive community overflows with thanks thankfulness overflows with thankfulness. You'll see it three different times in this passage. If you look at your Bibles at the end of verse 15, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. At the end of verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and praises with thanksgiving in your hearts toward God. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. So Paul sees thanksgiving as crucial to being a part of a community of believers. Gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ A constant overflow of thanksgiving. I love what one commentator said. He said it this way. Believers who were full of gratitude to God for his gracious calling. Believers who are are grateful for what God has done for them in Christ. He says they are more willing to find it easier to extend to fellow believers the grace of love and forgiveness. And to put aside petty Issues that might inhibit the expression of peace in the community. Those that have grateful hearts for what Christ has done in them. Those people that recognize that we are not who we are are any longer. That Christ has rescued us. He saved us. And we are only who we are because of Christ. See, those people, they can overflow with thanksgiving. They overflow with gratitude. And the, and it comes out in forgiveness and love and compassion and care, humility and meekness and kindness. 
An attractive community energetically expresses continual thanks to God because we aren't what we used to be. I'm not who I used to be. Thanks be to God. And because I'm not who I used to be, neither are you. And we're all in this together. And I can, I can love you. I can care for you. I can meet your needs and you can do the same. We can forgive one another. We can love one another. We overflow with thanksgiving because of who we are in Christ. See, a church filled with people overflowing with gratitude, that's attractive community. That's the kind of church people want to be a part of. Those that have gratitude and thanksgiving in their hearts. And lastly, and this one, this one really wraps all three of them all together. Christ-honoring, attractive community is immersed in the gospel. Christ-honoring, attractive community is immersed in the gospel. Paul writes in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, when Paul says, let the word of Christ, he's, he's talking about the gospel. This is what he's talking about. So what Paul envisions here is this community of believers saturated in the gospel. That apart from Christ, we were sinners condemned under the wrath of a holy God. Yet Christ came and he lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day so that we might have life and forgiveness of sin. And that if we place our faith and trust in Christ alone, then we will be forgiven And declared righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. You see that message, the gospel. We must meditate on that message again and again and again. It should be something that we consciously apply to our minds and our hearts. On a daily basis, multiple times throughout the day. This is the gospel. We must be a people obsessed with the gospel. We must be obsessed with the gospel. It's important and, and crucial for us as a church to do this individually. But I want us to remember that Paul here is writing to a community of believers. He's writing to the church at Colossae. And so how does Paul say that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? As a community, what should we focus on? Look at what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So here, what Paul does is he says that we should be a community immersed in the gospel and we allow it to dwell in us richly first by teaching and admonishing one another with the word. Paul envisions us hearing and delighting in the gospel as we are together and we're taught the Bible. As a community of believers gather together and they spend time in the word together. This goes back to one of our core values of prioritizing the Bible. This is why we, in every sermon, we want to explicitly declare the gospel. So that it reminds us that who we are, that we might allow the word to dwell in us richly. So we do this through the teaching of the Bible, 
teaching and admonishing one another with the word. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at the other thing that Paul says. Paul also envisions every member together lavishing the gospel of grace upon others in song. In song. You see, why we sing on Sundays is not just to fill time before the sermon. Why we sing on Sundays is, is not something, is not because that's just what we've always done as a church. We sing because it's something that we have been commanded by Christ to do. And one reason he's commanded it is because singing is a means by which the whole of the church can proclaim the gospel together to one another through song. So when we sing, we're a community sharing the gospel through song together. Our singing is not just something that we do. This is pointing people to Christ and the gospel. And so the great way that we cultivate the peace of Christ, love for one another and thankfulness is by making a habit of holding up high the gospel through the teaching of his word and through song. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, Jesus is not just the basis for Christian community, but the means of it. There is no community apart from Christ. There is no church apart from Christ. It's because of Jesus that we are in community together. And as we remind one another of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it powerfully draws our hearts together. As a community, everything we must, everything we do must be undergirded by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say it this way. It's because of the gospel that we exist in community with one another. And it's for the gospel that we seek to be an attractive community. It's because of the gospel that we're in community. It's for the gospel that we seek to be an attractive community. So the way we demonstrate the peace of God with one another, how we genuinely love and care for one another, and the magnitude with which we express gratitude and thankfulness are actually indicative of how much we understand and apply the gospel in our own lives and as a community. You see, if we truly understand the gospel, we'll forgive. If we truly embrace and understand and apply the gospel, we'll love and care for one another. If we, if we truly understand the gospel, we'll be kind and humble and meek and compassionate to one another. See, the gospel empowers us to overflow with thanksgiving, to have love for one another, care for one another. And to be compassionate and kind and meek and humble and forgiving with one another. A church filled with gospel-saturated people and relationships. That's attractive community. This is the kind of church we want to be. A community that demonstrates the peace of Christ. That displays genuine love and care for one another. It overflows with thanksgiving to God. And that is immersed in the gospel. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together with these people. Lord, as I think about 
almost 14 years of being in this church, in this community. Lord, I thank you so much for the relationships that have been built in my own life. The men and women that have encouraged me and my family. The people who have come alongside us during difficult times. The challenges and the difficult situations and people have encouraged us with their words. Lord, I thank you so much for this body of believers. And God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that demonstrates the peace of Christ. Displays love, genuine love and care for one another. We overflow with gratitude and thankfulness to you. And that we would be immersed in the gospel. For this is a community that lifts high the name of Jesus. So that others may know and serve and share him. So God, let us be that kind of church. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing here in just a moment. And I invite you during this time of response to respond however the Spirit may be leading you. Some of you may be wondering what Jesus really did and who Jesus is and how can I know him and have a relationship with him. You can come forward. We have staff members and pastors that would be, they would love to share the gospel with you about how you can leave this place today and be saved. Others of you in this church, I would, I would challenge us and encourage us during this time that maybe there's relationships that are broken. Don't wait till tomorrow or don't wait till lunch. Let's, let's do business with one another in this place. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe there's someone you need to seek forgiveness and you need to say that you've wronged them. Let's take the time during this opportunity to, to do what the Spirit is leading us to do. Let's stand together and sing. If you would like more information, visit our church website at bcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.